0: Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Shane Britt, and it is such an honor to have you join our podcast today. I pray that you will find something uplifting and encouraging in the word you are about to hear. Also, please feel free to connect with us via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm so excited about what you're about to hear. Let's dive right into the word of God. You can be seated for just a minute. I'm going to get to my text in a minute. If you want to go ahead and turn there, it's in Second Kings chapter 17, verse 22. And I'm going to read a little bit more than I normally do, but it's important that you pay attention because this is a story that I've read many times, but for some reason it didn't really jump out to me until very recently. It's one of those stories you read it in the Bible. How many times you read a story in the Bible and you're like, that's really in there? You just kind of scratch your head. When did I just fall asleep the last time I read that? The last 10 times I read that? And I think probably it's because this story is in between the story about the Assyrian captivity of the northern tribes of Israel and the Babylonian captivity of the southern tribe. Judah. So I'm going to give you a quick history lesson before we read our text. I hope you guys love history as much as I do. I know some of y'all fell asleep in history class, but I love history. I want to thank Pastor Britt for allowing me to speak to you today. It's an honor to preach for for him today, as he's preaching for his pastor in North Carolina. I thank all of you for being here today. I know the word gets around when the pastor's out of town, and some people think, well. Maybe we won't show up, but you're showing your pastor that you're not here just for him. You're here for the Lord, and as a pastor myself, I know that's what he wants. So just a quick history lesson for those that are not familiar. King David conquered Jerusalem, and he makes it the capital city around 1,000 B.C., and in just 120 years, Civil War breaks out, and the nation is divided into two parts— Ten northern tribes called the kingdom of Israel and two southern tribes, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. Because Benjamin was very small, these two tribes were simply called the kingdom of Judah. Judah, in fact, was almost equal in size, if not greater at times in strength and number than all the other ten tribes combined. So 1000 BC, David is king of all the land. He brought unity to the land that God had given them and then after his reign there was peace in the days of Solomon and around 920 BC which when you're doing BC for those of you who don't know you got to go backwards to go forwards so 1000 BC is older than 920 BC so 120 years later after king David's reign the nation is divided And then around 720 B.C., another 200 years later, the 10 northern tribes are taken into Assyrian captivity. So in less than 300 years, they went from peace, living in the promise of God, and unity to division and captivity. And what is on display here most of all is the patience of God for 300 years. Because he made a promise to them, if you'll follow my commandments, if you'll love me, then I'm going to give you this land. And I'm going to make of you a great nation. But if you don't, and 300 years later, he finally takes judgment on the 10 northern tribes. Because they had been worshiping other gods. They had built high places for those gods. They had planted groves for the gods. They killed God's prophets, and they stood up their own prophets for Baal. The kingdom of Judah didn't do much better, but only in comparison. They looked like the good kid compared to the bad kid in school, but they weren't much better. As you're reading through the books of the kings, you'll see in many places, it says the king of Judah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but then it's followed by the word, but they did not tear down the high places. And they still planted groves for Baal. And eventually, because of this, they went into Babylonian captivity. But in our text that I'm going to read in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 22, we're right in the middle of that era. When the northern tribes had just been taken into captivity and Judah is still in the promised land. Starting in verse Twenty-two. If you'll follow along with me, I know I'm going to read 11 verses, but please pay attention because it is important. For the children of Israel, the Bible says, walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They departed not from them. Until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, and he said by all his servants, the prophets... So was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and Cuthah and Ava and from Hamath and Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria. Samaria was the capital of the ten northern tribes of Israel. It placed those other slaves in Samaria instead of the children of Israel The Bible says they possessed Samaria. They dwelt in the cities thereof. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord. They didn't even know who he was. Therefore, the Bible says, the Lord sent lions among them, which slew some of them. Wherefore, they spake to the king of Israel, saying, the nations which thou hast removed and placed in the cities of Samaria know not the manner, because they know not the manner of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Come thither, carry thither one of the priests which ye brought from thence. So go get one of the children of Israel's priests, bring him, and let him go and dwell there, and let him teach them the manner of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Howbeit, every nation made gods of their own and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made. Every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. And the men of Babylon made Succoth-Benoth, and the men of Cuth made Negral, and the men of Hamath made Ashima, and the Avites made Nebaz and Tartak, and the Sepharvites burnt their children in the fire. To Adremelech and Anemelech, the gods of Sephirvarim. So they feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. Verse 41 says, "So these nations feared the Lord and also served their carved images. Their children did likewise, their children's children as their fathers did, so they do to this day." So with the help of the Lord I want to preach for just a moment on this topic, the God of the land, the God of the land. Let me just quickly summarize what I just read. I want to make sure that we're all on the same page here. The kingdom of Israel, whose throne was in Samaria, had continued in the sins of Jeroboam, the one who split the kingdom in half. They had been continuing his sins for over 200 years. And they had a lot of sin, a lot of them. If you read through the book, uh, of first and second kings, you'll you'll see. It, if it was a movie, it'd be a rated R movie. They did so much evil in the land that God had given them, and God's God waited two hundred years before He said, You say, why would He let them go into slavery? That's such a see. God is a just God, and one day a just God is going to take judgment on sin. We don't question when the judge says, hey, murderer, you're going to jail for 25 to life." We don't question when the rapist goes to jail. We all want justice, especially if we're the victim or we know the victim. And in this case, the children of Israel committed sins for 200 years. And finally, God said, that's enough. I've sent several prophets to tell you. I've told you in your in my word, the law that Moses gave to you, you've heard it over and over again, and yet you choose to fear me just enough, but you still have your own gods. Second Peter chapter three verse nine tells us about this patience of God. He said, "The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises; some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach." repentance. If you've got breath in your lungs today and you've committed sins in your life and you think, well, I'm getting away with it. No, my friend, it's just the fact that we have a very patient God. He's given you time to come to repentance. This is why I can't preach the doctrine of predestination. Because the people who are committing these sins have a destination that God has promised them, but he hasn't given it to them yet because he wants them to repent. It's not his will, the Bible says, that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God waited 200 years to judge Israel for the sins that they Had committed sin after sin, the most heinous things, unthinkable things. They did so much evil. And the preachers of their day told them over and over again, "If you don't repent, God is going to take this land from you that He promised you. If you don't repent, God is going to send you into captivity." And they killed those prophets because they didn't like what they had to say. And they raised up prophets of Baal and prophets of other gods. So the king of Israel takes the king of Assyria takes Israel off into slavery then that king immediately brings other slaves from other nations and puts them into the land that he had conquered in Israel. And those people, those other pagan heathen people, begin to maintain the cities of Samaria. And upon arrival, immediately upon arrival, the Bible said that these godless people started getting eaten by lions. And they had no idea why. And they don't know what to do to handle it. They didn't face this in their land. This is something new to them. So they cry out to the king of Assyria who put them there. Said, why is this happening? So he goes to the children of Israel and said, what's going on? And they said, we'll tell you why. They said, because those heathens that you put in our cities, they don't fear the God of the land. They said the lions are attacking them because they do not fear the God of the land. When I read this, it jumped out at me. And I thought, why would they refer to him as the God of the land? They knew his name was Yahweh, but they called him the God of the land. I understand that they often avoided saying the name of Yahweh out of fear of blasphemy? Why didn't they call Him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why didn't they call Him the God of our fathers? Why didn't they call Him the only true God, the Holy One of Israel? Instead, they called Him the God of the land. Perhaps it was because they didn't see Yahweh as the God of their fathers anymore because their fathers had long ago stopped worshiping him as Yahweh, God alone. Their fathers were worshiping Baal. Their fathers were worshiping other false gods. So instead of calling God by name, they simply called him the God of the land. He's not my God. He's the God of the land. He's not the God of my fathers. He's the God of the land. He's not the great I am. Not the holy one of Israel. Not the one true God. He's just the God of the land. He's that God that we feared enough to keep the lions at bay. Mm. So the pagans in Samaria did what they had to do in order to keep the lions off their backs. The Bible says They took one of the priests from Israel, and he taught them how to fear the Lord. And so the Bible says these pagans began to fear Yahweh. But then it says they kept serving their own gods. They never fully committed to the God of the land. They did enough to to escape the lions, Paul, brother Jeff, but they did not serve and worship Yahweh. They feared Him enough to avoid being a lion's lunch, but they didn't ever put the one true God in the same. They took Him and they put Him in the same box that Israel did, Brother Edwin. Israel called Him the God of the land, not the God of our fathers, not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the land. 2012, Christopher Hitchens was debating Frank Turek on the existence of God. I don't know if you guys watch Christian apologetic debates in your spare time, but I like to do it. It's, I don't know why. I love it. Turek is a well-known Christian apologist. Some of you may have seen him, maybe you don't know his name, but I guarantee you if you flip through Instagram and you're looking at the right stuff, you're going to hear some of what he has to say. He has some very good arguments that you cannot deny that God exists. And the late Christopher Hitchens is a world famous atheist. One of the four horsemen of atheism is what they call him. This was one of his last debates in 2012 before he passed away and found out just how wrong he was. Seriously. But Something he said in that debate stuck with me. He said he's asked this question to many people, many theists, many other different religious people. It's just a simple question. He said, I've yet to get a convincing answer from anyone that believes in God or a God. And the question is simply this. What is something morally right that a theist can do but an atheist cannot do? Or turn the question around and say, What is something morally wrong that an atheist can do that a theist or a believer in God cannot do? And Hitchens was trying to make the point that you don't need God to do right or abstain from evil. But what he didn't realize is that since moral laws are objective and universal, then those li- laws require a lawgiver. And that is a fact that an atheist. The fact that they even have morals is actually proof that God put them there. But aside from that, there is an answer to this question that Hitchens did not see. Because you see, the Ten Commandments are divided into two categories. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the first is to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And the second is likened to the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And when you divide up all of the law, everything can be put into one of those two categories. Love God or love your neighbor. And the first four of the Ten Commandments are about loving God. And the last six are about loving people. And atheists can follow moral laws about loving people. You don't need a Bible to know that murder is wrong. You don't need to know Jesus to know that lying is a sin or that stealing is wrong. This is written on our conscience by God himself. However, you do need to know and believe in God to obey the first four commandments of God's moral law. In Exodus 20 verse 3 it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Atheists can't do that. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me. Atheists cannot obey that law showing mercy upon the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Verse 7, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, that taketh his name in vain. The atheist cannot obey that law. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord of God. In it thou shalt do no work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, thy maidservant, nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within the gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh. Wherefore the Lord hath blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. The first commandment is about having one God. The second commandment is about not putting anything between you and God. The third commandment is about not taking his name in vain. And the fourth commandment is about setting aside time to spend with that one God. If you read the Word of God, you'll understand that it is a love story written to you. God wants a relationship with you, and He's not happy being relegated to simply being called the God of the land. He's not satisfied by a people that only call Him when they're facing a lion. He's looking for a people that are going to love Him when there are no lions. He's not wanting to be just the God of the land. He wants to be your God. When you look at the story of Daniel while he was in captivity, he prayed three times a day, Brother Sparks. Three times a day. He didn't just call on God when he needed something. He didn't even try to hide it. The Bible says he opened up his windows. Even when they made it against the law, he opened up his window, just pray. I'm not going to hide this. This is who I am. I love my God, and I don't care who knows it. He had a relationship with God that was more important to him than anything else. They tried to kill him because of that relationship with God, because he wouldn't worship the gods of their land. But something happened. Daniel didn't need to call on the God of the land when he was thrown in the lion's den. He just trusted in the God of Daniel, the one that he talked to three times a day. And guess what? When Daniel was in that lion's den, the Bible says that God shut the mouth of the lions. If you've got a loving relationship with God, you don't need to worry about hungry lions. God's going to supply your every need, the Bible says. Don't just fear the God of the land. Love the God of you. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. When we look at the first covenant that God made with Abraham, it involved land. But God didn't intend to become the God of the land. He called himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was a God of the people. The land was his promise to the people because he loved the people. He told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those that bless you and dishonor those who curse who curse you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed so this land started out as a promise from God to his people it was meant to be a blessing it was meant to be a promise He gave it to them because he loved them. And then later, his chosen people that he loved and that he gave this land to started just simply calling him the God of the land. Is there any wonder why they went into captivity? But even while they were in this backslidden state and held in captivity, They later got another promise from God, Brother Dakota, when the prophet Jeremiah, after Judah had already gone into. Babylonian captivity, and now the whole nation is in captivity. Here is a word that God gave through the prophets. All the while that they were in Israel, He was telling them, "Please turn back to me, please repent. I, I don't want you to go into judgment. I don't want you to have to leave this land that I gave you. But even after they left, He gave them another promise. Jeremiah 31:31 31, 31 said. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers. This ain't going to be no land covenant, Brother Edwin. Not like that covenant that I made in the day when I took them out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God doesn't like being called the God of the land. This new covenant was brought, bought with and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ on a hill called Calvary. He made a way for us not to just live in a land that God gave us, but that we could become a place that he could live in. The Bible says, know ye not that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Ghost. He doesn't want to be the God of the land. He wants to be the God of you, Brother Cadova. He wants to be your God. He wants to be the God of the people, not the God of the land. The cross made a way for that to happen, not God will put his spirit into anyone that wants it now. He wants to be their God. He will be your God. And the prophecy says you will be his people. This comes through only one way. Jesus says, I am the way. All other religions say they have a way, but Jesus made a universal claim. I am the way. There is no other way to heaven but through him. There is no other paradise but the one that he made for you. There is no other God but the one that made that covenant and wrote that book. Every other religion, every other so-called holy book. I got a call. It's not my nose, but I'll tell this story. It's just a little comic relief. I didn't mean to be offensive, but sometimes the truth is offensive, Brother Jeff. I was making a website just in my spare time as a hobby. I'm writing a, some trivia questions for every chapter in the Bible, and it's going to take me some time if you can't imagine. So I'm working on it, and as I'm going through it, this one guy, he finds my domain name, and I don't pay to hide my stuff anymore because I've created several websites, and I'll, just go ahead and call me. I'll talk to you. So they call me all the time, and he's like, hey, I see you're working on a website here. Let me help you with it if you want. And I said, no, it's okay. I don't need any help. And he said, no, really, let me show you some of the things we can do, and he's trying to show me. I said, no, it's okay. He said, oh, are you a you a developer yourself? I said, yeah, in my spare time. It's kind of what I do for fun. He said, oh, well, we can still help you out. And I said, what do you do for fun?" He's He's all kind of confused. I said, what, what do you do in your spare time? You like fishing, hunting, you read books? What do you do? He said, I'm a gamer. I said, do you, would you mind paying me to play the video games for you? And he finally got the point. I was like, okay, all right, now we're on the same page. I said, I'm doing this. I don't want you to do this. Right? That's what I'm doing in my spare time. He said, "Okay, but well, well, maybe one day when when you write this, all these people are going to come. They're going to see it, and you can put advertising on. You start bringing some money in. All this stuff. Maybe at that time you'll think about expanding." And I, I said, I, "No, I don't think I'm going to do it again. I'm just going to do it once." And he said, "Well, what if you decide to do some some trivia for other holy books?" I said, "There ain't no other holy books. I mean, it just it just quit. I didn't. I couldn't. I did no filter. It just came out." My wife's, my wife's riding in the car with me. She's like, oh, Lord. So here we go. This guy's in India, and he's trying to tell me. Oh, hold on a second. He stopped trying to sell to me at that point. He starts trying to tell me, oh, have you not heard of the Vedas? They're holy books, too. I said, no, they're not. I said, they're full of contradictions. And I said, he said, well, they were written before I said, how do you know? You don't have a copy of this book. You don't have this book. If, and later I started studying about the Hindu religion. Most of them don't even, they can't even have a copy of the holy book that they claim to be holy. They have a summarized version of it because it would take a whole library and all of the books have contradictions all in them. Their little summarized version is only picking out the parts that they like. Most of them, no, most of them would never read their holy book. I said, I said you know, You know what the number one book in the world that's ever been printed is the first one that came off the Gutenberg Press? I said, it's the Holy Bible from God, the only God. And I said, second place isn't even close. There's no other book that's been read more times, printed more times, sold more times, passed out at more times. There's no other holy book. He said, no, no, you're mistaken, sir. I said, no, I'm not. I said, you know how I know it's the holy book? I said, because the God that wrote it wrote himself in flesh, and he died on the cross, and he said, if you put me in that grave three days later, I will be resurrected. I said, Muhammad's still dead. Buddha's still dead. Confucius is still dead. None of them have a holy book, but my God is the only God, and he's the only one. That wrote a holy book. He didn't like that too much. Then he hung up on me. Now, see if he calls me about my next website. Praise the Lord. That's not in my notes. That was free for y'all. Amen. This is the only way. This is the only way. And here's what the Bible says. It says, if you want to be a part of this new covenant, you're not going to get away with what Israel didn't get away. you still got to repent. You've got to repent. And then you've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. These people preaching, you, oh, you don't need to be baptized. I'll show you in the word of God. You can't even say you believe in Jesus unless you're baptized in his name. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. That's how you enter into the new covenant that was prophesied to us. And if you do that, He's not going to give you land, Brother Jeff. He's going to put his spirit inside you. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive. The gift of the Holy Ghost. And Peter said this promise is not just for me, not just for the 120 people standing behind me. It's for you and you and you and you and you, your children, your children's children, all them that are far off, anybody that wants it. It's not limited by location. It's not limited by generation. It's for anybody that wants it. He wants to be the God of you, not just the God of the land. The Bible says that when you are filled with God's spirit, you will speak in a new language that you never learned. It's the only way it happened in the Bible, no matter what you've been told. It's not something to fear. It's not something that's weird. It's the creator of the universe living inside of you. It's a promise for you and your children and for anybody that wants it. God is looking for a people that love him, even when lions are not around. Almost done. Musicians, you can come. I want to read to you a warning that the Lord gave us in his now famous Sermon on the Mount. He warned the children of Israel and they didn't listen, but I pray that we will listen today. His warning is found in the seventh chapter of Matthew, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. On that day, he's talking about judgment day, Brother Josh. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. As I read the story in our opening text in 2 Kings chapter 17, and I read about those lines, I couldn't help but think about this passage here in the book of Matthew. Jesus paints a picture of a people who are going to be surprised when they do not get to walk through the pearly gates into paradise on Judgment Day. These people who obviously know who the Lord is, but Jesus says, I don't know who you are. There are people that cried out to him, Brother Jeff, but they never got to know him. One person, Brother Cordova, tries to get evidence. I cast out devils in your name. But Jesus says, I don't know you. How is that possible? Because, see, there's a difference in crying out the name of Jesus when you're facing a devil. And another thing to pray three times a day like Daniel did. You're not going to get into heaven by just yelling, Lord, Lord, when you need him or when you want to see the miraculous or when other people are watching on Sunday. What are you doing when you're alone with God? Do you ever talk to him? Do you love him? Do you really know him? Does he know you? I said this once before recently. You wouldn't need to cry, Jesus, take the wheel, if you give him the keys in the driveway. And you might have less lines on your back if you have more time on your knees in prayer. When you're sick and you want to see if you have a fever, you'll grab a thermometer It's a quick and easy way to check the status of your situation. When judgment day comes, it's going to be too late to grab that thermometer and figure out if he's the God of you or the God of the land. Why don't we all stand? On that day, he said, it's too late. So, I've come today with a thermometer for you. I've got a way to easily check the relationship status that you have with God. Ask yourself this question Be honest with yourself. When is the last time I was lost in His presence? I didn't want to leave. Some of y'all have had some moments like that. Where God just swept you away. He gave you a little preview of heaven. Because that's what heaven's going to be like. And you can't tell me you want to be in His presence forever. If you don't want to be in His presence right now. When is the last time I was lost in his presence, and I didn't want to leave. Because here's the truth of the matter, if you really want to know it. If you only come to church to keep the lions at bay, or if you only come to the altar when you feel that, you know, I'm going to go here long enough to make sure I've satisfied the God of the land. Or if you only call on him when you have a need, and let me let me just correct something here. I'm not saying don't call on him when you have a need. because he, even those pagans, when they feared God, brother Edwin, he took care of the lions for them. He wants to do that for you. He wants to supply your every need. But after that line is gone, don't go back to the false gods of this world. A pride, gods of money, the gods of lust, the God of I can do it on my own, I don't need you. I'll let you know when I when I got another line that shows up. I'll let you know when I'm facing financial trouble. I'll let you know when things aren't going well on the job. I'll let you know when that panic attack comes back. That's when I'll call out, Lord, Lord. You got yourself a God of the land. Oh, he'll still help you. That's because he loves you. But let me just read Second Kings chapter seventeen, verse forty-one, one more time. So these nations feared the Lord and served their idols. Sing today. It's one of those messages that you can't you you can't necessarily fix it today. If I was preaching to you here today or somebody online, this is something that's talking. I'm talking about something you got to get consistent with. There's there's several dozens of people here, probably close to 200 people if I had to guess. I don't know all of you personally. And that's okay because it's impossible to do that. Studies show you can only have about four or five people you can get real close with. They're going to know more information about you besides just your name and where you work. They're going to know your birthday even when it doesn't show up on Facebook. You're only going to have four or five really close friends and that's okay. But you only got room in your life for one or two really intimate friends. One of them's come be your spouse if you're married and the other one needs to be a God. But if you just kind of know him, if he's just an acquaintance that you see on Sunday, you know his name enough to cry out when you're going through a trial. We could could do a test here and And I can say, raise your hand if you know my favorite color. And I bet you, without guessing and just happening to get it right, there's probably only three or four people in here that know it. Because they know me. That's what God wants with you. He wants to know you. It's not enough just to call out to his name. He said, depart from me. I never knew you. These altars are open. I wonder who would come and say, I just want to be in your presence, Lord, because I do know you. You're not just the God of the land, you're the God of me. And if you don't know the God of me today, let me introduce you to him. He wants to fill you with his spirit, he wants to wash away your sins in baptism. He wants to wrap his loving arms around you. He wants to take care of the lions in your life. Come on, have a conversation with the God of you. Talk to him right now. Imagine being in heaven with him forever. Is that something that excites you or does it sound boring? Do you love God or do you love yourself more? Is he your God or is he the God of the way?